When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for August 16th, 2022. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed or our own dedicated podcast feed on, on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. I'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red box, it says sponsor this podcast. You can set up a one-time recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Mike Spears. Join alongside your other host, Case Lowe. In case you tease something less than 10 seconds before I hit record, saying well, that I, you had I, a way to get us going this week. I, so I've got, to apl- I've got to applaud you. I thought you were going to have to restart that intro, but you you worked through it. You got your way through it in one take. You, you know, uh, it, if we were going to do this, and weirdly enough, it's only with VoiceGate mm. that I ever have this issue. Never like an EE if, if I had to lead stuff off there. Never with like Patreon stuff. I don't know what it is about the VoiceGate intro. And I, I mean, I'm the one who says it every week. I should know what it is. But th- there was a moment where I thought I was going to have to pull out and do a second take, but not this week. No, Mike, Spears will, Mike Spears will not pull out. Let's talk about EE for a second. <laughs> uh that podcast has been gone for like two months now. How is your life post EE? So it, it's actually kind of funny that you bring this up in this way. So I, I, I was uh, with like spirits of Asians, I kind of set it up to like the summer is it's season one, but I, at the, at the front, I was like, we're figuring things out here. Right. Like I'm going to take the summer all out and I know what stuff's going to keep on with me. You know, newsletter, obviously. I love doing that thing. I have a crazy idea for this week. But uh, time-wise, it's, it's something that, like, and I think that uh, the three of us did a show with Murder Brian before, uh, I'm trying to think when it was. Like, dude, the last three months run together in my head in a lot of ways. But we, we like, sat down and we were talking about it. And I think, like, I feel really, like, good obviously like it, it's very touching knowing that some people still really care about that show and the community we have and that's awesome it's just one of those things that in a way like i feel like that i immediately in a way 
right afterwards, figure things out about what my next steps were. But now I'm kind of over the last like few months, like taking a step back and like looking at like, I, I don't know how much you back up stuff case, but like moving the EE files, like my archive folder on my server was a little bit of an emotional moment for me. I, I'll admit it. I don't back up stuff enough. I was just thinking about this with my real job that helps me pay my bills where I, I've been there for a while now and I kind of have all these files, or at least I should have all these files. And I just realized like, oh, they're floating around on Dropbox links or they're in this server that I don't have access to in my Pace. home. I, I know. And this is something Why, that I preach all the time. Me. Me I know. All people. Yeah, I've gotten really bad about it. And it's it's one of those situations where it's only going to get worse the longer I prolong it. But I don't want to do it because it's going to be so much work. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I, we talk before we start recording every week. I just... I only have so many hours in the day and this is kind of the new issue that I'm having is there's so much stuff that I want to do with this show, with wrestling and with, again, my job. And I just, I don't have the hours to do it because I already have so much stuff to do. Like I was this past weekend was a rare weekend. I didn't have anything going on. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just wanted to sit in my apartment and I started going through some really early Universal Lucha Libre footage again. And it reminded me, oh, that's right. I had a project I was doing with all of this Hamada footage that I've just abandoned because I haven't had time. And backing up files now falls into that category of I just don't have the time to do it. Well, good news and bad news. Bad news first, I can't find a way to accelerate your watching of Universal Lucha Libre. The, the, no, oh, and, and if you could, if you could, please let me know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that point, we're getting into some Terry Gilliam Brazil stuff, man, and I'm not going to cross that bridge. Like, I, I value our relationship too much to put you through that. Do so. you think there are people that, in the same way perverts like Joe Gagne, who listen to podcasts at faster than one times speed, they listen to like 1.5, do you think there are people that have hit a point with wrestling where they'll watch it at 1.5 speed? Man, that is... The, the, that's like a really like scary tipping point, you know, like when, when like consume consumption reaches that point, like I, I do get the podcasting a little bit. It doesn't work for me. I imagine I'd sound terrible sped up. Like I talk fast normally. So a one and a half times speed, that sounds awful, but like watching wrestling at like one and a half times or two times speed. If we're going to get to that point, then we should just like just close up, close up shop. Everyone just go our separate ways and just be like, OK, we had fun. But that that, that just seems like you, you're losing like almost anything about it with timing with two times. I can't watch any video that I know has been altered in a way that could change the viewing experience. So if it's sped up, I could never do that. Mirrored videos are the same way where it's backwards. I can't once I figure out oh, that it's like that, like, I can't uh, handle it. Uh, what, what was it? Botchamania did like mirror videos yes, for a while on YouTube. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I yeah. can't, I can't watch those. I don't know what it is. It seems like it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but it is such a roadblock for me. As soon as I notice that it's a video an optical is like thing. That. Look, look, like you know what it is? It's your brain is so used to you seeing this like not mirrored, so your your brain is just like trying to make sense of it, and like that's what that feeling is. It, it, it's that because like your brain does do stuff with that with the vision. So I totally buy why it makes you just unsettled. You know, as I'm going through all of this early Universal footage, 
there's one wrestler that is really making a big impression on me, and he's a guy that wrestled in Torimon. It looks like five times. He was on the very first tour and then worked, it looks like, a few different shows. One show in 2008 uh, for Drangate as well. That actually might have been a different guy now that I look at this cage match listing. But when you watch the first two tours of Universal, the wrestler known as Kendo, later Super Kendo and Michinoku Pro, unbelievable. Jumps off the screen to a startling degree. I, I have in my notes that he wrestles like a 2017 indie wrestler where he's dancing and he's a little goofy, but his high spots are so good that you can kind of work with it. And I don't know anything about him. I don't know how he's regarded as a wrestler, but I know watching these first two universal shows, it's like, okay, yes, Hamada's great. Asai is great. Uh, Negro Casas is great, but Kendo is just as good as any of those guys in the early footage. I think Kendo is someone because like when you start bringing up names, I was like, okay, it's going to be Solar or Kendo one or the other. Cause like, those are like the guys that showed up a lot for those times. I, I think that it's something that it's like, I, I'm right now. Like I did pull up like his Lucha wiki listing just to like refresh my brain about it. Like, like he's someone that like, cause he later did a lot of Michinoku pro. Like he yeah. did like the, but like I can't think of him. I can't think of him as a Michinoku guy. Like he worked ninety three to ninety six, which is peak Michinoku. But right. maybe it's just the way the TV was formatted. But I can't think of him in a big match. But I would like to see him in one. But but I mean, when you talk about that time too, you're talking about the peak of uh, of Home Army versus Kaintai Deluxe too. Yeah. So so the stuff that was like making tape would have been like some combination of Kaintai Deluxe versus the Face Army. And then you might have had clips of like Kendo because I don't I don't ever when we like went through and I realized that Masato Yakasiji is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. When I realized that moment, I went and like like was like going through things and it's something like the way they constructed TV and then also with how like the TV was that like people who were visiting didn't always make tape. And that was also a case of like Dragon Gate for a long time. Like if someone was on tour or on excursion and they weren't someone that was like immediately slotted into like a good a, a good spot, you might be holding out to see them do like a random like match zero at a Kobe Sambo Hall to make tape. Well, think about it with the Young Bucks. They did two tours and we have a clipped version of their no ring match with Mochi Fuji, which that match by itself is like five minutes long. And I think we get two minutes of it. There's a Bucks versus Saito and Susumu match. I think from Kyoto that we have. And then maybe there's like a few Bucks six mans where they're teaming with a world one guy, but they did two full tours and we have maybe footage of three or four matches. I yeah I mean that they are like a clear example of it. I mean Mark Haskins was like in the dojo for a long time and only made tape very rarely the best like when, Haskins footage we have is that Osaka Pro Show that we talked about right. two months ago yeah exactly so it, it, it's something where like I wonder about like some of these guys and it's something like also if you watch like 2000s 2006 through 2007 Dragon Gate where you're just like oh now we are getting a uh, Chris Bosch and <laughs> Baby Slim joining a Muscle Outlaws that that, that 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 you can go in one direction or another it's trying to find the healthy medium and I think now that like the shows that make tape you see it all basically and with the like how shows with like YouTube stuff there's other stuff that pops up now that like it's a better 
it's it's better now more so than ever if you're trying to watch someone who is touring Dragon Gate versus five years. Well, I talk about this all the time because I still feel this way that we take for granted the fact that we can watch wrestling live from Japan and we have hit a point where we have options of what to watch, whether it's Noah New Japan going head to head or Dragon Gate and DDT going head to head. It blows my mind. Like it's completely insane to me that that's an option. And then to add on to that, now we have crystal clear footage of Fujiwara in Australia and Mexico, and we're going to get all of these Drangate guys working U.S. indie dates, which we'll talk about a little bit a little bit later on. And all of those are going to be so hard or so easy rather to track down, which is incredible to come full circle talking about Universal. I was watching a handheld of a show from March 4th, 1990. And if you can find these two matches, uh, I, I would highly recommend it. They're probably on the internet archive database. I had them on uh, a file that is likely not shared with you if you're listening to this, but it's a handheld, it's poor quality, and it's filmed at a bad angle. But if you can work through that, there's a tag match on that show. It is Black Terry and Negro Casas versus Black Man and Kendo. In about five minutes into this match, Kendo and Negro Casas do an arm drag sequence that to me is everything that God intended Lucha Libre to be. It's unbelievable how crisp it is. You could put this match on American TV tomorrow on Dynamite. It would stand out. It's such a fun little TV-style tag match, and it's mind-blowing to go through this Universal stuff. I'm starting at the very beginning, and you realize in the case of, you know, Hamada and Asai and Casas and even some of the bit players, you know, a Super Astro or a Kendo. Yes, we always credit Hamada with being so far ahead of its time, uh, uh, ahead of his time. But the entire roster, at least on this first tour, kind of works to his level, and they are all so much better than I realized. The shows are tight and they're good and they're so innovative when you compare it to. 1990 in New Japan, that juniors division, which was outstanding. I mean, Liger versus Sano happens January 30th, 1990, and that's an all-time match. Or, you know, obviously the lack of All Japan WCW, uh, WWF junior division. When you compare what's going on in the world, the universal stuff is even more impressive in that light because nobody is doing what they're doing. Yeah, it, it it's really something that, like, thinking about, like, early 90s, in, in Japan and Japanese wrestling and like looking at like how the industry was structured in a way like Universal found a niche that it really worked for them for like that period of time that in in so many different ways it kind of like is leading the path of like the Lutrasa tree in the in like so many different ways but like when you compare it to like okay so 90 they're like 93 or like 93 they're like 96 like yeah like like we are still like a couple years from like uh uh fmw really like hitting its peak like like 95 is is after this like like mitch and oku pros we talked about after it it tore him on after it and you like you look at like the rest of like the wrestling indie scene at least from my understanding of it in the 90s in japan like this is like the only one that was kind of doing its own thing and it, it found an audience i think that's the reason why now 30 years after the fact 32 years if you really want to get down to it it really has kind of like spun off it, it its whole different uh, uh, just strain of wrestling wrestling from that, and you could already see that like like hum- Hamada's like mindset 
in a lot of different ways when you like look at his students. I think it's something that you also later saw Ultimo and his students, and then you you see with like the senior people on the roster of the rookies in Dragon Gate. Like it's a you, you, there's a very obvious through line. Do you want to get really big brain for a second? I mean, I I have been tonight pitching that uh, that that uh, that Tyler Bate, as he's apparently coming from NXT UK to NXT, he should really try to get an Iggy Pop body type. <laughs> I think it would look great for him. So I'm already in a big brain. I came on the show, big brain. What do you got? Okay, this is purely. This is for you and I. I can't imagine anybody's going to enjoy this conversation. You might not even enjoy this conversation. It might be the wrong demo. But I was watching a TikTok yesterday, and a woman brought up all of these charts and graphs about how much less color there is in the world now, how everything is just becoming this neutral gray, black, or beige tone. Like you think about McDonald's and how, you know, they used to have these bright red restaurants with obviously the golden arches. Now they've rebranded like this brown exterior. And in a way, Hamada Hamada's Universal is just representative of this entire issue. It found a niche. It was this bright, beautiful display of pro wrestling. It was its own color and an already colorful landscape. And you look at not only wrestling, but just media now outside of one thing, which was the whole thing I was going to bring up at the start of this podcast, which I still want to get to, everything is the same, and it's such a bummer. Yeah, man, that's that's like the scary thing, like when things kind of like hit you, and I think that's why like the difference is in like celebrating the weirdness of wrestling is something that I'm really more drawn to like nowadays. Like I, well, like all this stuff is happening in PWG. PWG is now like, pretty close to uh not live streaming but like their vod has accelerated greatly i have like no desire to watch pwg i would much more i'm much more interested in seeing like watching old continental now and just like seeing like oh this is crowds were going insane for this kind of stuff that's so. literally been my whole thing for the last god probably all of this calendar year the only time i watch old wrestling now i'm watching old lucha and it's not that i like all of it it's just something different. Like I know I'm going to see something that I'm not going to see anywhere else. Yeah. And it, it it's something like just a touchback on the EE question. Yes. Earlier. One of the big things in change in my life. I'm not watching four hours of YouTube wrestling. That, that feels very samey in my week. And we talk about time, like cutting out that four hours, just like, okay, this is four hours. Now I could be, that I already designated for doing stuff for EE that now it, I'm free to use for other stuff. Very liberating. The homogenization of art is something that plagues me quite a bit, and I'm feeding into the system. I work in the radio industry, and I'll tell you right now that there are bands, and there are really big bands that exist solely in the universe of getting their songs played on FM radio, and then they can sell they can sell out your local amphitheater, 15,000-seater with the lawn or whatever, and it's because they have these songs that are vaguely alternative, vaguely electronic, really catchy pop choruses. And so instead of really focusing on being one thing and dedicating yourself to that, it's vaguely three or four different genres. And now all of those stations play it. And on one hand, you can go, well, that's smart. More bands should do that. But for me, it's a bummer because 
that's just to me that's not the purpose of of making art but i I, i'm seeing it be effective for these bands who you know you or i who primarily discover new music through a pitchfork or through opening bands or whatever it is we would have no idea of knowing who these guys are but they've played the system they've gamed the system and it, it it has worked for them but i think it's worse off for art and culture as a whole well, I mean, I, I, I do not want to touch too much into your day job and, and suspicions I have about certain things cropping their ugly head about those bands because there's literally bands I've never heard of that when a, whenever like someone like posts like a festival uh, one, one bill, one sheet, and you see all of them there, and I'm just like, oh. I only know the headlining acts now. And then like you like look at like I've never I you can't tell me one thing about the chain. I couldn't tell you one thing about the chain smokers, the lumineers. And they're like two of the okay, biggest in, in in defense of the lumineers. <laughs> give okay. me some runaway. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, oh, oh okay. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Tycho's the worst thing I ever heard. Now you're defending the lumineers. In defense of the lumineers, those boys have some bangers. The song Gloria and the song uh What's it called? The song, I think it's called Bright Light. It's the name of their last album. Uh, oh, God, we play it all the time, too. Bright Side. Gloria and Bright Side are bangers, Mike. And uh, <laughs> I can't recommend them enough. If Bright Side, if Phoebe Bridgers wrote Bright Side, people would lose their minds for it. It's, it's no different than a Phoebe Bridgers song. It just so happens that the Lumineers put it out. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I I take your word for it because like you you know what's the one band that as soon as they became a thing I was like you know um my my, my fingers on the pulse at least for music are completely gone Kings of Leon yeah they're they're an interesting one uh <laughs> a, a band that's important to my livelihood so I have to be careful of what I say I mean I enjoy their big hits but I enjoy them as radio songs I have no desire to go to a kings of leon show on my own accord yeah no no and it just it just seems like that that's like the entire cottage industry is i propped up by stuff like that and that's those are the kind of things that like i i i'm not going to say the p word case that i really wanted to say (laughs) and i think you know which one i'm (laughs) talking about okay okay have you Uh, have you seen the chili peppers live no no i'm seeing the chili peppers on friday and i'm I've become really excited about it. It started off as like, because you know me, I come on here every week. I'm like, oh my god, my job's so busy. It's been so much lately. But my job this week is to go to see the Chili Peppers. And at first, I was like dragging my feet. It's like, oh, do I really want to go? Like, I don't know. And this week turned, you know, the calendar turned to this week, and I am into this show all of a sudden. I am fully embracing their weirdness, and I think I'm gonna have a really good time. Hey, I mean, yeah, I gotta see John Frusicante. I mean, he's back with the band for so long. Who exactly. Knows? Exactly. He yeah. could he could leave tomorrow, and then they could do another seven year gap with another guitarist, and then he'll come back. And Frusciante fans are in that weird Joe Satriani. Yeah, yeah. They like him too much. Right. Yeah. No. Gu- guitar virtuoso perverts need to just like take a moment. Like, like yes, anyway, <laughs> Malcolm, like fantastic guitars, but come on, come on. So, and I even say that as like Dimebag Daryl Abbott, I think is one of the best guitarists of all time. So are you going to be going to the Pantera reunion shows? No, because I don't support <laughs> Phil. No, no. I'm from Dallas Fort Worth. Come on, man. The, 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 he, he did the Paul Brothers dirty. In terms of art that isn't homogenous. Yes. I need to know, are you watching the rehearsal on HBO? 
Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, no, uh, yeah, yeah, no. Uh, it is by far like I, 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 I had a moment where I was like, I want to explain this show to my girlfriend, but I don't know. One, this is very much not going to be her thing, and two, she's just going to like stare at me like, "Why are you watching this? Why are they giving the money to put this on TV?" It's amazing. It's, it's the best thing. It, it's it's unbelievable. And I was late to it. I I, I watched the the five that are available, and the sixth and final episode will air this week. But I watched the five that are available over the weekend, kind of in between Universal viewing, and I was just so delighted by what I saw. It is just every I I never know what's happening next, and I'm so delighted by it. Yeah, and it's something about Nathan Fielder, like the the idea of comedy that of the absurd and like playing it very straight that is so compelling that like if you're someone who's watched like even like the a dumb Starbucks episode of Nathan for you, you get the conceit and you will rack your brain trying to figure out what is what what's a shoot and what's a work basically. The Mel Gibson stuff from the most oh. recent episode it gave me a really, really hard laugh. Did you see that Angela is like posting like responses and she's totally okay with like everything? I, I don't want to look at her social media because I got super bummed out because the Nathan for you series finale is the two parter finding Francis, which right. I watched, I had not seen the show before. I didn't know what it was. And it was my freshman year of college. And my roommates were like, yo, finale of Nathan for you was on tonight. You got to watch. And I said, I don't know what that is, but sure, let's watch it. So that was my introduction to the show, which is a very interesting uh, predicament to be in. And I, I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I love all of these people. They're so kind. And then I looked up Francis on social media and this is the fall of 2017 and she was like a giant Trump supporter and it just bummed yeah. me out. So obviously Angela has been very forward Open. facing with our anti-Semitism. <laughs> <laughs> Not refuting <laughs> it. Actually doubling down on it, but right. I still, I don't, I don't want to break that barrier of getting even deeper into it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because like that's the trick is like you want to try to figure out like okay, like how who's in on it, who's really not because like I'm of the belief that like coming in on Fighting Francis is wild and there were a lot of people who did so because of like the moment it was. Like it was like built up like oh, Nathan's doing this full movie as like the finale, but like it must've been like while like jumping in there when I think that it's a show that actually you you wouldn't think it would be serial and building up and being built off itself. But I, I would say that like you watch like episode one, season one of Nathan for you and then finding Francis and you see like, Oh, this is the evolution of what this guy was doing. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I just want to make sure that you were watching that. I was going to recommend it if you have, and I told my parents about it on the phone over the weekend and I kind of got the, okay, all right, cool. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. He's like, he's, he's, he's building a simulation. Like, and they're like, Oh, awesome. Yeah, no, we'll check it out for sure. Um, they will not be checking it out, but no. I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I just want to make sure that you were watching it as well. Oh no, it is absolutely fantastic. Okay. Should we get into Dragon Gate stuff? 25 minutes in. We, we should. Let's talk about this Osaka festival show that happened over the weekend. That's right. So this week, we're talking about the events in Osaka, some excursion stuff as well. They had the Summer Adventure Festival in Edeon Arena, Osaka on the 14th. They announced beforehand, a couple days before, that, all right, we are not honoring union alignments for this match. Everyone is unaligned. You'll team with. We'll, we'll, we'll have interesting teams for the show. And then they ended up, for the first time this year, posted a full card less than 24 hours before the show. 
and I think just like off the top case, like I thought that this was just a whole lot of fun. It just was like a nice two hour block of Dragon Gate that did have some storyline stuff that felt like used the format of the show pretty well. Uh, what were your big thoughts about the week? Much like Cork and Hall last week, this is a nice reset coming out of the heaviness that was Kobe World and the Ultimo Anniversary show. This show, if you skip the opening announcements, if you skip intermission, you're going to watch the show in two hours flat. I didn't think anything was great on it, although you could certainly talk me into bumping up a magic quarter star and putting it on my spreadsheet. We'll, we'll see how we feel about it when we get to it. Everything on this show was fun. Even the the old man, uh, Nozawa, Ultimo 8-man, it wasn't good by any means, but it was quick. It was harmless. It moved on. And, it, you know, I don't want to say it served its purpose, but it wasn't degrading to the show by any means. So to have a show like this, one that I wasn't really confident in uh, when they announced they were doing the Osaka Summer Festival, we, of course, finished recording about five minutes before they announced the card last week. But then to see this come to fruition, to see the show draw as well as it did, it did 552 people, which is the most that Dragon Gate has put in this building since the start of the pandemic. Mike, do you mind if I run down some attendance numbers really quick just to put this in perspective? Please do. So they did 552 for this show. In terms of Dragon Gate just going back through this year, they did 368 in July. They did 514 in May for King of Gate. They did 510 for the second night of Champion Gate and 383 for the first. And they did 464 January 9th at the start of the year. Last year, they peaked with 500 people for the Champion Gate match between Shun and Kaito Ishida. And before that, uh, they were really only touching 300 maximum, hovering in that high 200 range. The show before COVID hit, March 1st of 2020, headlined by Doi versus Susumu, which might as well have been a million years ago. That show drew 808 fans. So, yes, 250 off, but to me, that is a relatively healthy sign of where Dragon Gate is at right now, that they were that close to hitting a unrestricted number in 2020. For perspective, uh, Noah ran here the day before. They did 505 fans. 0-1 allegedly drew 472 in July. Stardom ran a string of shows in July and uh, June and July. Rather, they did 558, 450, and 464. And then just to show you how far ahead New Japan is of everybody, they ran here on April 22nd, and they did 683 fans on a show that had absolutely nothing of substance on it. So I, I think that there's a couple of takeaways from that. Like, first and foremost, I would say that we've seen at least in the immediate aftermath of Kobe World Weekend that hasn't tanked them at the box office. We haven't seen them back in Sambo. They're going back to Sambo. I think it's this weekend or next, maybe. But I think that that will be kind of, we will be the show that sees the ripples because, I mean, they had two biggest shows of the year right down the road, basically. So I, I, I think that, that that's, uh, I, I think that that's something that's pretty strong for them and of course like building up like this i mean it, it, it i of course it's scale and we're talking about like difference between like 30 or 40 people but that's a pretty healthy jump and it, it's something that when you like you look at this uh, the, the one thing that i would say and this is just me personally just because the time period and what all was going around on august 14th 
I don't think that the, the that the uh, posting the card really affected the box office here because it, they, they announced the full card like a day before, so that's only walk up business. Well, really. they, they, they announced the, they announced the full card Wednesday morning, and this show would have Wednesday? happened. Yeah, because it was right. I it was right announced... after we stopped recording. Really, I thought yeah. they announced one start one part of it on Wednesday right after we stopped recording, and they announced like the full lineup the day before. No, no, they they announced the full card last Wednesday. I'm I'm almost positive on this, and I I actually think that really contributed to the attendance because for those that don't know, Gamma's retirement show, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, not next week, but likely the week after, uh, that show drew almost 900 fans going head to head in the same town. Yeah, and it's something that I think. Yeah, so they they announced this card on the 11th, three days before. Okay. Okay. So so it. It's something where I still look at three days, and yeah, that 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 does make me think that there is a little bit more of a walk up business. But with the, the like, bring up the fact that Gamma did a complete sellout in the building that he did for his retirement show. Which case, uh, well, we're not going to get super deep into the Gamma's retirement his career to, this week. But were you surprised at all that he drew that for his retirement show? I knew it would draw well. I said last week I actually expected this Osaka show to be down because of the Gamma show. I did not expect 900 fans there, so that's that's one hell of a house for a retirement show. It's it, I'm sure Gleet is bummed they couldn't put their name on that officially because that would have been a nice house for them. <laughs> hey, I I mean I imagine they're making good make some money on the back end off that DVD, fifty five dollars, man. So Christ has has Gleet drawn a show over a thousand fans? I think one of the Tokyo Dumps, uh, the the uh, Tokyo Dome City Hall shows drew. Okay, all right, that that yeah. sounds right. I, I I would have to go back and really look at this but i believe like that it was one of the shows but it's something that for them so oh yeah no t- the uh the one on the first on july 1st did twelve fifty in tokyo dome city hall okay so i i i guess like when like i hear all of that from dragon gate the attendance wise getting back to that uh it it's something that you had that card up so you had 72 hours that that will have affected some things there but you also look at like what they proposed and and they said hey this is going to be a special show and that's why i don't know i can if i could completely like set this up here because this show from the start had a completely different vibe than any other show that they've had well i can say this as a consumer and i and i alluded to this last week on the show just the announcement of Drangate summer festival in osaka did nothing for me and i still would have sided with the retirement show if i was buying a ticket but once this full card came in and i saw the generational battle and i saw hyo and ut versus ben and shun that really piqued my interest and i i would have been a a late ticket buyer saying you know what i, I i'm a Drangate guy i like this card i think it's gonna be interesting let me go to the Drangate show plus kai and hulk versus strong machine j and mochizuki jr so there was a lot to like on this show if you're invested in the product right now which i obviously am yeah and i think that's a good time for us just to get right into it there was a future match that they had started up but they did not it it, it was the kishawada uh and i did not catch the other person's name okay so did you catch the uh future match at all no i did not it was, uh, I, I mean, they actually, like, smacked the crap out of each other and were two big guys. So that was interesting. I, I like the fact that we have some different body sizes in this class. Like, that's my big takeaway from that. That was Yeah, and we'll, we'll get a uh, a much better idea of what this future class can bring next week as Kaito Nagano is debuting in Fukuoka this weekend. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be a big thing. And then, I guess, would that have been, because 
Kishiwada was the one that's going to Torimon, uh, uh, Kasa, right? Oh God! Oh, I I don't know off the top of my head. Let me see if I can find this really quick because I that that name doesn't sound familiar to me. Uh, is it Nishikawa? Nishikawa. Sorry, that's on me. Nishikawa. Is that it? Hold on. I I was looking at the wrong tweet here. Uh, it is Nagano in Fukuoka, and yes, Nishikawa is going to Torimon Kasa. All right. So it'll be interesting to see if he ever makes it about. Mm. Mexico, but then we started off the show proper. They did the full uh, Natural Vibes third chapter dance since they really wouldn't have a chance to do that. So you had another thing to fast forward through if you really wanted to. And then we got into the opener. Uh, we have Jay's top trio of Big R Shimizu, uh, uh, Sushi Kondo, and Takashi Yoshida versus Dragon Kid, uh, Jason Lee, and Dragon Daya. Dragon Daya got the win on, on Yoshida with Reptilian Rana. I thought this match was a lot of fun. Obviously, the big and small dynamics were there, and they played into that pretty nicely. It reminded me watching this that Dragon Dias had a very strange career. You know, he came in with all of this hype and was the lineage of Ultimo Dragon to Dragon Kid to Dragon Dia. And this is obviously a time before Ultimo had returned to the company. And that he lost his mask last year, which nobody saw coming. I still think it's one of, if not the most shocking result in Dragon Gate history. And then watching him here team with Dragon Kid, it reminded me, oh, that's right. I'd really like to see a Twin Gate run from these guys at some point. For as good as D-Courage is right now, for as much as I'm enjoying this team, that is something that can be explored down the road. And it's remarkable thinking about Dragon Kid, who's been here since day one. He's, what, 44, 45 years old. And I can still plot him into booking decisions that are logical and exciting. I think that is a real testament to uh, the way Dragon Kid operates and to the way that Dragon Kid still conducts himself. Yeah, it was something that at least when Daya debuted, like they really played up to a point where like I was disappointed in the guy because like this guy is supposed to be the heir to Dragon Kid. So like having that Twin Gate run like would fit in with everything into the lead up with him. So that would have been really cool. The the thing that I enjoyed really out of this match was Jason Lee was the like the one person up until like the semi main event who really played up the fact of hey I am in natural vibes I'm not teaming with natural vibes Shimizu is in natural vibes I don't know if I'm happy about this and I thought that that was just like a nice little like character trait to have in an opener that was you know the big guys doing big duck guy things and then Yoshida getting caught with uh, Daya as a flash. Yeah, fun stuff. Good opener. I would recommend watching it on YouTube if you haven't seen it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I went three and a half on it. I'm with you there. On match two, we had... Uh, l- let's just talk about this case. It's going to be easier to do that way. Diamante versus Konamawa Ichikawa. This was not a part of the Boso uh, revival series. Uh, the three falls, because this is a soccer match. The first fall was in 38 seconds, where he gave up when he was in the the press slam for the Vuelta finale. He then got a rematch, gave it up again in a minute 20 because he was about to be press slammed over the top rope to the floor. And then the third match, he immediately got knocked out with a counter kick and got. It was fantastic. I have to applaud Diamante. Obviously he's been here three years now. He's family. He's one of the guys, but still it's, you know, okay, let's, let's put it this way, not to put anybody down, but could Kaisuke Yakuda have had this match with Konamami Chikawa? Well, when they would have like these matches before, they would just completely do the MMA thing, 
right? Yeah. But yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. what it would have been. It would have been like playing up that, but it would not be a soccer Chikawa match. It would have been like soccer for Cinnamon May guy. Yeah, and I just think this fit the tone of a stalker match. This fit the tone of what Drangate comedy should be in Diamante, who really just had to stand there and not be too imposing, but be dangerous enough. I thought he fit his role there perfectly. So props to Diamante. This was super fun. Hey, he got to wear the Kobe World Weekend bodysuit, so he didn't have to work out the, the glamour muscles for this night. You know, real real day off across the board for Diamante, who I thought played the exasperation perfectly for Komaui Chikawa. And hey, it, it was something that you could tell how good Diamante is when that was the prettiest Konamawe Chikawa to Harris off the top rope I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I said last week before we had the card, I really wanted them to do Diamante versus Yoshioka for the Dreamgate belt just because they had that King of Gate match in this building in May. And I still, I still haven't lost sight of that dream. Uh, no pun intended or wordplay not intended. Rather, I really really want that match at some point and i don't know if it's going to happen i don't think anybody considers diamante to be a credible dreamgate challenger so i don't think it would draw very well i just think for as good as he's been for 18 months now and for as great of a match as he had with yoshioka that should be a small building dreamgate defense yeah, because I look at it and I don't think we're going to get another small building Dreamgate defense unless something happens and like Sendai, you know, like we've had we had two Quark and defenses this year. That's that's more than usual and that's usually it. So I could definitely see Diamante if he's if he's around next February and March, pencil him in in this building, Champion Gate night two in March of 2023. That'd be the that's perfect place I for it. That's what I was wondering. Sorry to cut you off there. I, that's what I was wondering is, okay, you look at the last two years. It was Shun versus Ashida, which did very well. And then it was Kai versus Shimizu this year, which did 10 more people than Skywalker versus Ashida. And I wonder if Diamante versus Yoshio could, could get 500 people in the building. And I'm such a big fan of both that I would like to think so. But I don't. I don't have a good gauge on how highly regarded Diamante is considered with the fan base. Cause you have to remember, he's a guy who we've got a little bit of him wrestling in front of normal crowds, but he wasn't the Diamante that he's become. And I know he's respected. It's not like there was a backlash when he and Shun won the twin gate belts, but I don't know if he's at that next level. And I'd really like to see him hit that point because, you know, we rave about him all the time. I think he's a better Claudio than Claudio was at this point. And, you know, the latter's a guy that's been having really good matches lately, but I still think Diamante kind of fills that void in the wrestling universe of just an athletic freak who doubles as the best base in all of wrestling. Yeah, no. And and that's why I look at that Edeon to March defense. I'm like, you know, that's even less stakes than even Corkin, you know? And it's something that at, at a certain point with how he's pushed, like you kind of need to do that. You know, I mean, like this guy is one of the most productive guys in the company. So... You, you, you kind of have – if he's taken seriously enough in the company to really be like this lunch bin, then I feel like that he should be like three years in. They should feel comfortable giving him a title shot and like the lowest stakes title shot place they could, you know? And I think Sendai would be a little bit too big. I think at least with the right. information that I have, that's asking a little bit too much of him. By the way, I'm looking at the calendar now. I forgot Dangerous Gate is on a Monday this year. I am so annoyed by that. I just <laughs> – just give me a Saturday pay-per-view for fuck's sake. 
they give me these corkins on the uh, on weekdays which is annoying and that they book these papers dead or alive was on like a tuesday this year dangerous gates on a monday that sucks i i'm trying to pull up right now the holiday that it is i bet it is a national holiday and that's why they that's that's with a lot of their schedule just because of how in japan at least they set up the holidays that that's why i can't see that happening yeah it's respect for the age day which is obviously not something that exists in america well, there's grand there, there there's National Grandparents Day. Okay, but th- there's also National Ice Cream Day, Mike. Hey, I celebrate both of them, both <laughs> of them equally, both of them equally. But like the the, the deal is, and this happens to Dragon Gate a lot. It the, the deal is is that if a technical holiday falls around a weekend, or if it's something where it's like okay, the holiday is on a Tuesday, then they will declare like a bank holiday for that Monday. So that opens it up to be another day to run the show. Yeah. So, support for Open the Voice Gate this week is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorsteps. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make your home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. In case I don't know about you, but it, it has been a cold and a little bit rainy around here. And there's few things that, you know, hit me in like the seasons the way that HelloFresh can with their seasonal offer. Oh, I'm looking at this menu right now, and this is exactly what I need as football season is right around the corner. You're right. The temperature has dropped dramatically in Chicago. We're talking about weather in the 60s right now, which is as low as I would prefer to go. Every October through April, I question why I live in this hellhole. And then I get two and a half months of nice weather, and I am reminded of why, of why I do such a thing. But as it gets colder and as we approach the big games, boy, oh boy, am I looking at this HelloFresh menu in between the sweet peach barbecue bacon burger and a little thing called the, oh no, I just lost it. Where did it go? Oh no, it's called like chicken, chicken, bang, bang or something. Where is this at on the menu? The chili, chili, bang, bang chicken. Yeah, I'd be an idiot not to be using the VOW promo code to get my HelloFresh box delivered to my apartment. And I was talking about soups. They already have a one pot turkey cannellini kale soup. It'll take you 35 minutes. But one of the great things about HelloFresh, they make sure that everything is pre-portioned and you get all the directions on there and they give you a heads up that, this is the great thing about this one case is that it tells you ahead of time that not only is this one pot tur- turkey cannellini kale soup easy prep, it's also going to be easy cleanup for you. And that's one of the great things about HelloFresh that they make sure that you're able to do so with their quick and easy recipes and 20 minute meals, which gets it. We're busy people out here getting food in our mouths that they help us get, get it to there faster with HelloFresh. Yeah, you'd be a fool not to invest in HelloFresh with what's the promo code, Mike? So the way to take care of this and the way to support Open the Voice Gate is to go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW16 and use code VOW16 for 16 free meals across seven boxes and three free gifts. That is HelloFresh.com slash VOW16 with promo code VOW16 for 16 free meals across seven boxes and three free gifts. HelloFresh. America's number one meal kit. In case the next match that we had on this show, it's a match that, at least for me, when they announced this on the show, I my eyes went to this match first. It was the class of 2020 slash 2022 
Uh, second generation stars, Strong Machine J and Mochizuki Jr. teaming up for the first time versus Zebrats, Kai and BB Hulk. It was BB Hulk getting the win over Jr. with the first flash in 8 minutes and 33 seconds. And this is something that I I enjoyed the match, but I was more... I, I was more drawn into like the possibilities and now really having the second generation guys around that, that, that really left a strong impression on me. Guys. It's such an interesting position for Mochizuki jr. To be in because obviously he has built in angles and feuds just by being the son of Masaki Mochizuki. And we talked about that last week about how Mochi jr. Versus Don Fuji is something that's entirely unexplored at this point. And I think it's a really interesting dynamic that I would like to see them play with. But even among his peers, they obviously have the Ishinihashi stuff and the Ishin Riki and Ishinihashi versus Mochizuki Jr. and Masaki Mochizuki tag that's coming up in September, which I'm really excited about. But you also have him and the natural tension that he has against Strong Machine J. And they hi- they they highlighted that at Kobe World this year. And then they teamed together in this match. And it's so interesting to think that they're a guy or two away and had Ricky had stayed, they'd be even in a better position to have an army of second generation wrestlers. I mean, that's what we're approaching here is if, if they can get, let's say two more guys in the strong machine, J Mochizuki junior Ishinihashi vein, all of a sudden you've got a five person unit of second generation guys. And I don't think something like that has ever existed in wrestling before. Yeah, and it's something that it's just really like remarkable because like Strong Machine J has has had this as a character trait since the Hashi showed up that he was happy like being the only second generation wrestler. So as soon as the Hashi showed up, he got angry, and now there's another one going around here. He had a niche, and now people are, are starting to threaten it. But you see, like the two of them, like throughout this match, like when they were in the the when they were on the same page, like they have great chemistry together. So I feel like that's something that you don't like, you're not gonna put this on the bulletin board case, but maybe it's something where like you pull up notes and you like write down future idea, second generation unit, because they're three fifths of the way there. I feel like, and it's something that it offers something completely different than what most of wrestling. Mochizuki Jr. is such an interesting wrestler to watch at this stage in his career because the the thing that Drangate has always done very well, and they do this intentionally, going back to the most notable example being the Blood Generation versus Doofixer match at Supercard of Honor, where the Drangate guys told Gabe before they went out there, hey, this is a match to get Dragon Kid over. And if you watch that match, they got Dragon Kid over. They have this unique ability and these multi-man tags that I, I don't think anybody else really has, even for as good as the AEW multi-mans are. And a lot of those guys are Dragon System adjacent, if not family. I don't even think they have this unless you have like specific instances of Dante Martin uh, stepping toe-to-toe with Kenny Omega like he did last year, which he was teaming with Matt Seidel family. So it worked out nicely. But Drangate has this unique ability with all of these colors and units and gimmicks and guys, they're able to make one guy stand out. And Mochizuki Jr. is doing exactly the right things right now when his number is called upon and it's his time to turn it up in a match. That is where he is taking advantage of it and really shining. And, and no doubt about it, as he progresses, as he gets more ring time, his selling is going to become more interesting and he's going to become more dynamic and he's going to be able to do more things. But ultimately, 
when he has to make a baby face comeback and he hits that V trigger like knee to the face of Kai and starts kicking away at Zebrats. And for a moment in time, a very brief moment in time, looks like he's going toe to toe with some of the top heels in the company. I go, holy shit, this is the guy. He's 20 years old. He's two months in and he's doing this. And it's incredible to watch. He's picking his spots and he's succeeding in those instances. And because of that, I remain so bullish on what he's capable of because the other stuff will come. I have no doubt about that. It's not that he's, you know, uh, like a baby giraffe out there. He's very capable of doing everything that he's been asked to do. I just know it's going to get better as time goes on. But the complex stuff that he, that's been asked of him early on, he's nailing. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And, and like, that's where like I kind of came to where it's like I'm interested by this match like I went three and a quarter on this match like the work was solid there like I'm seeing what I want to see out of Mochizuki Jr. and he's stepping up like each chance he gets and he's put in a position he steps up here but you come out of this match you're like okay this is why last week I was like you know I'm not worried about five or ten years it's just you know getting to like six months a year it's just not gonna be fun but when we get to that when we get to the three or five years, things are going to be fine. Cause when you see someone like Mochizuki Jr. And even with like the attrition in this roster, like it's still, I would argue the most promising roster under the age of 30 in the world still. Like, oh, it's not it's even because- close. I, I, I mean, maybe AEW, but we've gone over this. It's not even close. It's, it's why I was just so surprised to read some of the feedback coming out of Kobe world of, I don't know. You know, it's not, it's not my dragon gate. It's not the same. It's like, well, no, it's, they're doing the same thing. You just didn't like a Sato match. I mean, to be fair, to be fair. (laughs) Yeah. But this was something that was really interesting. And it's something that usually on these shows, you could tell like if there's going to be like a post-match thing. And this one, I think they did the coolest thing of uh, Mochizuki jr. Is just, bereft he's slamming the match he's yelling he's pissed off and strong machine jay you can't tell he's talking to him, but he's like staring down uh junior as he's undoing his wrist tape he throws it by the side and just jumps off the apron and walks back cold as hell it ruled yeah i love the fact that mochizuki jr is losing when his dad's not around i think that's another really interesting wrinkle in how they're playing with this kid yeah no and it's something where you know the m3k act like unless you have all four of them around like there's some things about it that you know you're just kind of like okay but like what they have with mochizuki jr when it's not the complete act is it's very interesting to see and and pretty promising as well not Uh, to not to belabor a point we can make this very quick i have two things here do we need to discuss what was written in the wrestling observer newsletter about m3k and the open the triangle gate championship match i mean we could say it on record just so it's both in audio and in text yeah, you know? I, it's just, I mean, we literally joked about it a few weeks ago of Dave writing that Nozawa would refuse to do a job and lose by countout, despite the fact that M3K's gimmick is that they win by countout. And that's exactly what Dave did. And I don't want to position this in a way of everything Dave says is wrong, everything that we say is right, because I don't yeah. think that's fair. And I don't think that's, a, that's not a position that we want to be in. No, but not at all. No. I do really encourage people to just think when you're reading the observer about the way we cover this, how closely we cover it and just how wrong Dave has been about certain specific things that we have factual evidence saying that he's wrong about, or at least I don't even want to say that just we we have as close to factual evidence as possible that he's wrong about it. I have laid out 
my argument, and I don't remember what episode it was. It was whenever the first bit Nasawa stuff kind of came cropping around, and whenever it's brought up, I refer people back to to that thing. But yeah, no, Dave biffed it on this one again. I mean, like just being factual about it. This, like, this I'm not one's egregious. To... This one, yeah. this one made me really upset when I read it because insulting. Dave... It's just, it's one of those things. Ultimately, Dave is a historical document. You know, that's why, it's why I love Dave. It's why, and I believe I've voiced this on the show before, but like, I get really concerned about thinking about Dave getting older in age because mainly with his obituaries, there's just a, a certain void that Dave fills that once he's gone, no one's going to be able to do it. And I'm kind of looking at a list of older wrestling personalities going like, I need this person to go. I need this person to go. I need this person to go simply so Dave can write their obits. But even, you know, 15, 20 years after Dave is gone, the observer is still going to be the primary source for all of these things. Cause it's not like Sean Ross Sapp is covering this. I, I wish he would, but he, he's not, he's doing, <laughs> he's doing whatever he's doing. Good for him. Um, I, I really, mean, really yeah. cool that Pat McAfee was so down to earth with Vince McMahon. It was really chill of him. Uh, but uh, wrestling observer rookie of the year, 2020 Pat McAfee case. Come on. God. Um, it's just, it's, it's frustrating to see Dave whiff as badly as he is now to a different tone. Ishinihashi. Takuma Fujiwara, Mochizuki Jr., all eligible for Wrestling Observer Newsletter Rookie of the Year this year, as well as Takumi Hayakawa. Could you rank those one through four real quick? So, class of 2022 and Mochizuki Jr., basically. Ishin counts, right? Ishin counts, yes. The, the okay. cutoff is, I think, September 1st, and Ishin would have debuted September 21st. Yeah, okay. So, at this point, I would say Fujiwara, uh, I, I have a soft spot for Ishin. And you do. I'm trying to, and I'm trying to uh, synthesize. Uh, Fujiwara is one, but I think it's something that I feel like that just because who's there and who's not, and like that he will... It, it, his number one spot is not as chiseled in stone as it may have been three months ago. Uh, Fujiwara, uh, Minorita, then Ishin and Mochizuki Jr. are on the same. I'd, I'd rank them the same. So I'd go Fujiwara, Minorita, and then, and then Ishin Jr. Unless, so let's see, that cutoff is September 1st. So yeah, I have my mind made up. I mean, Takuma Fujiwara to me is still rookie of the year by leaps and bounds. And I will be writing extensively about that over at voiceswrestling.com at the end of the year, because I think it's really important that even though he's been in Mexico, that he is still so much farther ahead of everybody, but you have Ishin and Minorita and Mochizuki Jr., which I would put in and that Fuda. order, but and Fuda, you're right. And boy, if I enjoyed him lately, I kind of wish he was on these shows, uh, but that's that's five rookies, four of whom I think have a legitimately strong contendership just given what the rest of the wrestling world has done. And I think that's impressive, and I think it's worth noting. Yeah, no, it, it's something where I foresee it being Hook, and then the rest of the top five should be Dragon Gate guys. Like, Hook's just going to be uh, insurmountable at this point, you know? Yeah, Hook has been good. I don't begrudge it. it, it Hook is not a Pat oh, I don't McAfee situation. It. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, this isn't a McAfee or Dom Mysterio thing to me. But Fujiwara has been better. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that that goes without saying, guys. 
<laughs> I, I, I would think that that even with like the, the five months he had, I would put before behind everything with Hook. Like, come on. Let's talk about open the uh open the Nozawa gate. Yeah, so this was an eight man tag. This was your touch football game of the night. Yeah, one team for the touch football game was Ginky Horiguchi, Susumi Mochizuki, Azushi Kanda, Nasawa, wrong guy, versus Ultimo Dragon, Don Fuji, Naruki Doi, and Kagatora. Don Fuji getting more wins, getting the pen off of a backslide off of Horiguchi in the pre-match case. We had the uh, the Susumu Sai came out to the Jimmy's theme as it was three former Jimmy's and Nasawa. The Jimmy's all had on Nasawa's face paint. They dragged out former Jimmy, general manager Ryo Saito. They put the face paint on him. He was very unhappy. They did a photograph of it, and they incorporated Ryo Saito in the match because now he is a Nasawa, just like the other three. I will say, one, it's good to know that Naruki Doi is back in action here. He had a neck injury that pulled him off the first few weeks of the August shows. And two, Don Fuji continuing to get those wins. Boy, do I want Don Fuji challenging M3K for those Triangle Gate belts. It, it just it seems too on purpose that Fuji now has two pinfall wins in a row. Yeah, and it's something where like you look at his team and... Other than Kagatora, he's the third-ranked person on that team. If you're going to say, like, who's going to get the fall on the side, you go Ultimo, by far, like, almost by acclamation. Then Doi, it would be more would be much more likely than Fuji. So, like, Fuji has been getting wins in important places, and it makes you wonder. I really enjoyed the post-match with Fuji and Doi. Uh, Fuji, at one point, uh, what, he shook Doi's hand. He hugged Doi. He bowed to Doi, and then he still chokeslammed Doi. That was phenomenal stuff. You can't let Doi put on any airs on the month of his homecoming match. No. I, I mean, we know how he, how he gets about Nara. So, Don Fuji... <laughs> it's, it's the one place that he'll happily sign autographs in. Right, yeah. So, Don Fuji is, you know, trying to get his expectations set right. But the match was fine. I mean, uh, uh, Nasawa, fine. But, it was like, eight minutes. Eight, I can't, I yeah. can't complain about this. It wasn't bad. It was, it was eight minutes. It was three stars. What do you want? I want this I, next match. I really like what came yeah, after this. Yeah. Let's get into it. Match five, the semi-main event. You had on one side UT teaming with Hio versus Benke and Shun Skywalker teaming. And just an interesting, like, most interesting part of the night, easily. It was the match and everything that happened after this. It was... The, the finish takes a little bit of explaining. Uh, the finish was in 10 minutes, 57 seconds. Binke penned UT after hitting a spear, but this was after Hyo gave up the ghost of acting like he was wanting to team with UT. Like, like they were not on the same page. They act like they're on the same page. He immediately turned on him, and then uh, Hyo and Shun Skywalker got back on the same page as Zebrat's members, held up UT to eat a spear, and then afterwards Shun invited Binkay to join Zebrats, but we did not get an answer out of it. So the class of 2016, they're starting to find each other again, Kate. Watching Ben and Shun team in this match was super interesting because if you think about when they were teaming on a pretty consistent basis in 2019, we were spinning it as almost the new version of Speed Muscle. Now, obviously, D Courage has come in and they have just perfected speed muscle 2.0 and the limited times that they've teamed as a two-on-two team but in 2019 
Ben was obviously the power guy, and Shun was still pretty light, still flying around the ring, still doing the thing that he was first known for. And then you watch them here, and it's a less, less athletic, it's a little bit slower version, but not all that far off from Shun and Diamante teaming. It's power and power to Dragon Gate's Road Warriors. It's really interesting to watch that dynamic change, and they had the perfect opponents to do it with, with Hyo and UT. Yeah, and it's something that, like, you, as soon as, like, you saw Benkei hit the ring and Shun coming, and Shun, like, doing, like, his flip into the ring, and you're like, okay, this is the dynamic. I remember 2019 in a lot of ways, and then you got to see them, like, bring back their teamwork in a way like the, like the the thing where uh basically shun gets the guy in like the reverse chin lock and then ben just like lifts him straight oh no it's the surfboard he gets him in a surfboard and then ben lifts him up for the slam sequence i was like oh yeah this is like my favorite thing that they did and it was so fun to see uh case we are now uh, about 13 days after the fact how are you feeling about hyo as Bravegate champion because I like watched him in this match, watching him out there, and it's almost like that some people when they get title belts, they kind of like shirk and they, they it, it's something where they don't always feel comfortable. I watched this and how Shun was just like his body language conducting himself. You would think that this guy has been a champion his entire career. Like I was impressed with how he can, he just came off like the calculating genius that he's portrayed himself as since uh, since that one Sephora trip. In the same way that Susumu Yokosuka is wrestling's Tim Duncan, sort of that quiet consistency that leads you to being an all-time great, Hyo is wrestling's Robert Ori. He's a big game player. He's big shot Bob. He's big shot Hyo. This is a guy who, as we have seen throughout his career, he only gets better when the moments are bigger. And I have to acknowledge, and I said this last week, but I want to reiterate it, Santo submitting Hyo sucked. I wouldn't have done it. I didn't like it, but it also wasn't one of those rage-inducing things because one, I just I just don't think people cared that much. It's not like Muto uh, pinning a young Noah guy, and I, I think you would agree with that assessment that although those situations look similar on paper, they are different. But also the beautiful thing with Hyo, and I've said this time after time, he can beat anybody. He can lose to anybody. He's going to be okay. And this Bravegate run, I don't see it being a pock-like run where it's 11 months and it's banger after banger after banger, and he makes guys in the process of this title run. But I do think him merely carrying the Bravegate belt is going to be really good for that scene because he could lose in his first defense. He could defend the belt nine times. I don't know what it's going to be, but the way they have crafted him is so brilliant. There is just built-in drama with Hyo as soon as he enters the ring. It, it, it's just something that you, you see the confidence, and, and yeah, he could totally lose the belt against whoever he faces in Tokyo. Like, that's totally fine. It's just something that, for me, at least as someone who's, like, followed the guy for now six years, seeing him kind of, in a way, be be different than what we saw when we thought that he might become like the 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 next like great chicken shit heel and now he's changed this into like this way that like you see him as a champion it's like oh it all works out and i'm not only am i interested to see how the title run goes i'm interested to see what this confidence does for him afterwards because i don't think this changes his like career projection in any sort of way but it's something that 
maybe it opens a couple eyes that the projection can change down the road, like what happened with KZ, you know? Yeah, completely. And then we got into the main event. This was a interesting trios setup here. It was on one side, Yamato, KZ, and Eita, and on the other side, Yuki Yoshioka, Kota Minora, Madoka Kakuta, Yoshioka penned Yamato clean with the frog splash. In case, I want to ask you, we get in this match, what is the thing that unites uh, Yamato, KZ, and Eita? Ooh, the thing that unites Yamato, KZ, and Eita, I would just assume it's their age? Exactly. They are... Yes. are they are... Eita is a little bit later, but they're all... But Yamato and KZ were Dragon Gate next. Eita was like a year after that. And Yoshioka, Minora, and Kakura case? Those are the young guys. Those are 2016 and beyond. That's right. We had a generation war here, and I I enjoyed it. I thought this was really strong, Case. What were your thoughts? I had to pause really quick there. I've blocked out so much of Tribe Vanguard that I was like, wait a minute. Was Eita in Tribe Vanguard for like three <laughs> months? I just don't remember. And I was like, what's the thread between Yamato, Eita, and KZ? Uh, fuck, I hope it's just that they're in their 30s, but I don't know. <laughs> it, you were overthinking. You were overthinking. That's okay. That's okay. I really enjoyed this match. I went three and three quarters on it and could very easily be talked into four stars if you're that high on it. It was another one of those matches. I just, I, I would love to get inside the seemingly hollow head of Madoka Kakuta because he is just such a strange wrestler. Like, why has he been good in August after being non-existent in June and July? Like, I don't know what happened here, but he has once again kicked his work into overdrive. And in a match with Yamato Keizi Eita, Kota Minora, and the Open the Dreamgate champion, Kakuta might have looked the best in this match. I I wonder if he's going to be like a Kagatora where it, like because like let's face it, he he came back and he was adrift through a Kobe World season. And then the first show after Kobe World season, they put him with D Courage. I think they gave him something to do, and that's given him the little bit of oomph the same way it was for Kagatora. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it is. I mean, that could very easily be it. It's just it's so strange because you know, my talking point for a little bit was you know, Kakuta's got to work heel. He's got to have an edge. He's got to be aggressive. But he has been white meat babyface on these last two shows and has popped off the screen. I don't know how to get that consistently. But if this is a guy who, like I said last week, you know, Shun's going to be gone. Ben's going to be gone. SP Kento is gone. Fujiwara is gone. Yamato's going to be gone. This roster needs people to step up. And if for the last quarter of the year, if Kakuta can be that guy who is consistently crushing it on the Kobe's, the Kyoto's, and the Fukuoka's, that is going to go a long way with me, and I think a long way with the company. Yeah, and it's something that, like, in this match, I felt like I was three and three quarters as well. I'm not going to try to push you to four. I was four on the semi-main. I loved it. I thought that that was just exceptional stuff. But I'm a Hyo and UT fan. I mean, that's one side of the team, and then you have Shun and Benke. Like, I was predisposed to maybe be a little bit high on that. I was three and a half on the semi-main, but I do not begrudge you for the four because that is extremely your shit. Yeah, I, I, I mean, unless they were found a way to get uh, Tozawa Juku back, and I don't know if you'd throw <laughs> in on the UT and Hio side. You, you're, you're, you're speaking my language. We're getting close to it, but the, it was interesting for me for this main event because for the first like four or five minutes, I was really not into it until – because I felt like things were kind of slow building. I was like, okay – 
I that maybe we're going to really ramp up here. And then it hit me. They kind of worked this match in a way that you would see during Doi Darts matches, like the openings of those where it'd be like, okay, we're going to clearly have a longer feeling out process. We're going to get the matchups in here just because of the variety of Doi Darts. And I kind of felt like that the first half of this match until they got into a phenomenal closing stretch felt like a Doi Darts. Very much so. You know, you, you think about the last time that they did a generational match like this, which oddly enough was the first show that I reviewed on VoicesOfWrestling.com, the July 2nd, 2015 Cork and Hall show, which was an open the generation gate show. That is how they st- that that was how that entire Cork and show was billed. And you had the semi-main, which is Shima, Ricochet, and Seidel against Doi, Yamato, and Yoshino, which was a generational battle. And then the main event, which was even more obvious, of Tozawa, Shingo, and Hulk versus Eita, T-Hawk, and Shimizu. And I think if you rewatch that main event, which I have recently, and shocker, it's very good, there's a little bit more chemistry between the older side and and the younger side that makes it really seem just like an incredibly heated six-man tag. I think you're right in that observation. You know, with Yoshioka and Minora just wrestling against one another at such a high-profile match, and with Casey and Ata just wrestling against each other in such a high-profile match, there wasn't, there wasn't that chemistry. And it's also something where Casey and Ata have never been in the same unit. Yamato and Ata. I don't think have ever been in the same unit. I don't think they overlap in Berserk at all outside of the the very little bit that Ata was there when they first formed. And then you have this this trio yeah, of young no. guys that you have Yoshioka and Kakuta now attached at the hip as as faux partners, and then Minora, who's once again the odd man out there. This was a doy dart smash just packaged as something else. Yeah, and it it was something that I really love the idea of doing like this show to me felt like we are setting up clearly defined generations here. It's something that I kind of like doing in my spare time, just figuring out stuff because calming thing, whatever. But you you come out of the show and let's look at pairings. We had throughout it. We had a new generation versus current generation. If you want to go next versus, I don't know what you call 16 on really <laughs> but you, you you have those happening and then you have shun and benkei both classes 2016 Hio class 2016 you have 2020 and 2022 but second generation stars i like the fact that we're starting to see like like these tight groups that we kind of saw in a way like back in 2009 and like that weird generation war that takuya sugawara showed up and was a part of and as long as we keep sugawara out of this we're going to be in good shape yeah it it seems like that I I think they're going to like really focus on if they're going to go this way, like with like, okay, class of 2016, Hyo's getting troops together for that. And then we have the young guys, we have future, we have these kind of things. We're not going to, I don't think we're going to get the Torimon generation guys here just because of how things have played out over the last few years. I feel like that there is the Torimon like stuff that will come out here, but I don't think we're ever going to like see like a collected group like that in this sort of war, mainly because no. of what happened. At, to conclude the war, but also just because it feels like they've moved on from that. No, I mean, look at look at who's unaffiliated. That's Kondo and Saito and Horiguchi and Fuji, and then you have Susumu and Kanda and Mochizuki who are in a unit, but it's a nostalgia play, and then there's Doi there, but no, I mean, we're, we're beyond that point. I mean, there's 
there's more Dragon Gate guys on the roster at this point than there are Torimon guys, and that has to be the first time in history that that's happened. And it's something that, I mean, they started the show with a future match, and even, like, in the context of what's happened over the summer with people, well, really, over 2022 with people retiring and leaving the company, if anything, like, this is... If you want to like take like stock of like okay the older guys they were moving out and the newer guys the younger guys that's their own thing and themselves like this is kind of like those positions that were vacated were needed to be vacated immediately in a way like you if you like take a step back and like look how things have moved since then it makes sense in a way yeah absolutely and that was it for Osaka fun show. I would you want them to do this kind of show every year? This this sort of because uh, Summer Adventure Tag League was a thing for seven years and that completely goes away and now we have a Summer Adventure Festival. Is this something you kind of want to see pop up on the schedule each year, Case? Oh God, yeah, I'd be I I'd be okay with an entire tour of this. I think it's it's a fun it's a fun thing. It was a needed break. I we talked about it again before we had the card of okay. What are they going to do with Ata? They have all of these big shows coming up, and Ata, his tag team partners are technically Nozawa, Kataro Suzuki, and Super Crazy. And I, I was really, really nervous last week. At, right after we stopped recording, I was like, "Fuck, they're going to do D Courage and Kakuta against Ata, Nozawa, and Super Crazy." And I'm gonna—it's the first time in the Nozawa Chronicles that I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to be way wrong on this. And thankfully, they didn't. They just stuck Nozawa in that eight man, which again, I. I don't know. I don't make anything of it. I don't. I, I didn't see any Nozawa booking on this show, so I, I more than okay with him being in a meaningless eight man tag. But I thought this show was super fun. I would watch the opener. I really. I mean, I God, I'd, I'd almost watch this entire show. The only thing that really didn't have any sort of substance was that Nozawa eight man. That was eight minutes. Just skip past that. But you've got five short, fun matches on this show that I think are worth your time. Yeah, and it's something that I think, like, hitting the two-hour block for these uh, non-Tokyo shows or, like, non-plot-heavy shows should be something they kind of hit get to. It's just something that I think it, when, when you, like, you pull up a file and you see, like, 150, 180 minutes on a Dragon Gate show, you're like, oh, okay. But this one, you pull it up and said, oh, it's an hour. It's 140 minutes, and you know in your back of your head, okay, there's going to be an intermission. That's 10 minutes. The opening stuff always takes like eight to ten minutes there. And then fast forwarding, if you're someone that just wants to watch matches and that's it, you can get through the show in an hour. Yeah, absolutely. So it was fun. It'll be up on the network until the 21st. Okay, so we didn't get a chance to really talk about this last weekend, but more stuff's being announced. Dragon Gate in the USA is upon us as we now have more dates throughout the wrestling world case. It is getting real exciting and i'm going to make some decisions soon yeah so i've got i believe all of the announced dragon gate in usa indie dates and i think i'm just going to run through this list if that's all right with you go right ahead man so on september 9th etu wrestling in new york they're doing a lot estrella versus sb kento I know nothing about this promotion, but Estrella versus SBK is a fun-looking match. On September 17th at Deadlock Pro, Shun and SB Kento are teaming against Jack Evans and Andrew Everett. And then the next day, Shun Skywalker, as of now, 
is going to work the MLW taping now. MLW has been canceling shows. Court Bauer has been trying to book Toriumon and Drangate guys since 2003, and he's never been able to make it work. I went pretty in-depth on this in my 15-year retrospective of Blood Generation versus Doofixer that I would highly recommend people read. But as of now, Shun is working that MLW show. On October 8th, Ben K is working West Coast Pro, and both Yamato and Shun Skywalker are working the Game Changer shows on October 8th on, on October 8th and October 9th, with Shun also being announced for the October 22nd Game Changer show. Yamato will be in my neck of the woods at AAW's Jim, Jim Lynham tournament on October 14th and 15th. God, I hope they book Shun Skywalker for that. And then SB Kento and Yamato will be doing prestige wrestling on October 30th. And finally, SB Kento and La Estrella are booked for the West Coast Pro King of the Indies tournament on November 19th. So a lot of stuff they really being announced over the last 24 hours, to be quite honest, especially with SBK. Uh, I, I I tried to look to see for like ETU to see if they did any sort of streaming. I know that Deadlock has their own. Uh, MLW will be available in a lot of different places. So it, it's interesting. So, Case, okay, so, I, I wanted to get your help to help me figure out a quandary I have with the schedule here. Okay. So Deadlock is running in Raleigh, North Carolina on the 17th, right? Yes. They And then the next day, uh, Shun... Allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> I, I, I have to I'll say, believe it when I see it. Well, like we'll get into why I'm heavily on allegedly doing MLW in Atlanta. So without giving out too much personal information on the freely available podcast here, I'm approximately two hours, 15 minutes from Atlanta, but I would be six hours drive from Raleigh. The problem I have case is, do you have confidence in what uh, one MLW happening Two tune being used to like any sort of thing to make it worth it versus i look at that match that's announced for deadlock and i'm like okay that is the kind of match you should be booking for these dragon gate guys and i know that match is going to be good i don't know how to make sense out of this case i think from what we know about the the long-term dragon gate mlw relationship long-term meaning going back to 2020 through now court clearly likes shun and i think we'll do something worthwhile with him but Court also has promised me in the past <laughs> Roosh versus LA Park <laughs> over a WrestleMania weekend at a MLW TV tapings case. Would it surprise you to know that Roosh versus LA Park did not happen at this taping? I, I, I would be shocked to know that. That's a very good note. Thank you. I do have to briefly shout out Deadlock Pro, whom I know nothing about. But as I was putting together this list, I learned the, that the guy who runs Deadlock Pro once ran a forum that basically turned me into a smart wrestling fan. Okay. And I didn't, I have, and I mean, I haven't had a discussion with him in probably eight years, seven years. I didn't know he was still around. Uh, he was once very prominent in like the WWE video game community, which was kind of my in. And then I was looking through his Twitter and all of these same guys are still there. And I guess they all pitch in with Deadlock. I know it's a name I've known for a long time, but I have no idea what it is that they do. I just know that it seems to be a pretty well-run promotion. And I just learned the guy that I guess is pulling the strings behind it is 
an insanely influential figure in my wrestling fandom. So I'm actually <laughs> delighted that he's not only he booked Estrella and then he's booking this tag of Shun and SBK versus Jack Evans and Andrew Everett, which is an awesome match. That's the type of stuff that I would like to see while these guys oh, are exactly. in America. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm I'm pretty pumped for that. So shout out to Deadlock Pro. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Other stuff that's been announced, and of course we only have really like two matches that have been announced. I think that it, it's something that as we track that, that is currently my high water mark and Deadlock gets my award for knowing how to book the Dragon Gate guys. I have no confidence whatsoever that Brett is going to put Shun Skywalker in any sort of position that will be best using Shun's abilities and getting a, a better match out of for the person he faces against. I have no, no, no confidence in Brett Lauderdale. I want SB Kento and La Estrella to get as many bookings as humanly possible, but I do not want them to be booked for the all out GCW weekend shows. I am going to be so annoyed if I have to spend more time in Hoffman Estates because Brett books those guys. <laughs> I'm going to be so annoyed if that happens. Oh, it's going to be awful. It's going to be absolutely awful. And I'm going to have to go and I'll be with Sean Sloan. Who's going to make fun of me the entire time. It's going to be I, horrible. It's going to be a bad weekend. It, it's going to make me better showing up to that you know because uh, i guess go there, yeah too. yeah that's right you'll you'll be there that's good to know i yeah yeah, yeah. i believe i told the story on the pod but i got i i got dragged to a gcw show last year that i did not want to go to they i walked in for free i don't know how that worked nobody checked my ticket i just walked in the building and started watching a gcw show in the only i was there for maybe 20 minutes before i threw a fit and complained i went back to sean sloan's hotel room the only redeeming quality was that i saw suit williams there and gave him a firm handshake it's always nice running into suit i hope i don't know if he's making the trip or not i would love to see him again but just being in a gcw building was depressing when it happened it it, it was something that when you texted me and you're like, are you here at this show? <laughs> that was the, 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 that was one of the, one of the high moments of the weekend. Where I was like, Case, why do you think I would be there? I, it was, I was really hoping you were going to be too. Like that was a night where <laughs> I, I'm I, sorry I, I let had, you down. I'm no, sorry. No, it's okay. I, I had bounced from one concert to another, did two concerts that night. And you know, I I roll with some pretty heavy hitters, Mike, and and one of them had oh, said, oh, well, I, you know, I knew you were I, with. I knew you were I, with. Yeah. <laughs> I roll I roll with some heavy hitters, and one said, you know, I'm I'm going down to the GCW show if you guys want to join me. And I got peer, you know, I I can't get peer pressured into drinking alcohol. Thank you to everybody who tagged me and the guy that accidentally broke edge video that made me laugh really hard. I don't know if you saw that yesterday, Mike. Yes, or not, that but, was um, <laughs> eighty percent of my personality. <laughs> thank thank you. I have a brand, and people are aware of it now. Uh, <laughs> I've never been peer pressured to drink, but I got peer pressured into going to GCW, and it was an awful experience. Friends don't let friends go to <laughs> Unless they book Dragon Gate guys, in which I will be there. Yeah, no, that is very true, Matt. It, it, it's going to be fascinating. Like, I did, after I saw the deadlock booking, I was like, all right, I assumed when this was all happening and like when we got the heads up, I was like, well, if it's not going to be all out, I'm probably going to have to travel significantly. And now it's like, okay. The Southeast, which is weird spot, I would say, right now for independent wrestling. Still kind of figuring itself out there with the, with the lights of the world kind of on it in some ways. It's it's kind of, uh, it, it's cool. It's cool to see, like, the Southeast and hopefully, like, these. I mean, Deadlock must be doing enough stuff to be sustainable if they're still running like this. So that's cool. And it's already seemed to be a promotion that gets at least Japanese wrestling. So that's really cool as well. I wish I could have the confidence about the rest of the bookings that they'll be getting. 
Yeah, I, I obviously, you know, I'll be I'll be seeing Yamato and AEW, and I hope they add at least Shun to that bill. But I, I trust that AEW will do something smart. I, you know, Prestige and West Coast Pro. Yeah. I actually, the the thing is, outside of the game changer appearances, which again, I really have no faith in them using Yamato or Shun to any sort of valuable degree. But it's it's the companies that I expected to embrace these guys. It's West Coast Pro and prestige and aaw and those are the indies that i point to as having a clue and hopefully you know these are people that book to and seem to have good experiences with him so hopefully the dragon gate guys are doing the same but no these are the these are actually the indies that i expected i'm glad that they're working west coast pro and prestige and, and there's, yeah. i think i think there's defy dates too but i don't i actually Australia don't have those defy dates yes uh, astraya I, I messaged you about this yesterday astraya is on the defy show this weekend and he's wrestling titus alexander which i am really intrigued by because i think alexander is one of the better prospects in america right now yeah so i i'm glad that Australia is getting out there like that was like the big thing like when we first announced it i was like okay Australia needs to be working needs to figure himself out you know so it's gonna and, see and from people that i've talked to that are helping Australia get bookings he is incredibly serious about working everywhere that he possibly can. He wants to work every indie. He wants to get out there. He wants to get better. Like that's that's the thing that keeps on being reemphasized to me is, you know, God, he keeps on hitting me up. You know, can you get me in here? Can you get me in here? So Estrella has the right mindset while he's abroad. And hopefully once he comes back, we see the fruitions of that labor. Yeah, it's going to be really cool to see. And I'm certain that we will. Uh, I don't know if we'll do like a full buffet or anything like this, but we'll, we'll be sure to have the coverage that you expect for the excursion as we go along with that. But in case we are hitting the, the point where I thought like, okay, there's no way we're going to go much longer than this. Uh, do you have anything else you wanted to touch on before we got out of here, bud? I think that is it. I think I'm good for this evening. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voicegate. Cases at underscore in your case. I'm at Fuchiheya. Thanks for listening to Open Voicegate. We'll be back next week talking about August and Dragon Gate. Take care. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.